Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Easy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have a great show for you. I'll speak with Joe Yurden, host of the Maintenance Day Podcast and contributor to Bleacher Report and NotedHockey.com website as we look back at the wild first round of the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. The first Saturday in May is here, and that means it's Kentucky Derby time. And joining me now from the uh, Louisville is the award-winning uh, Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam. And uh, Mike, before we get to the Derby, um, just wondering, any Boston Bruins going to be at Louisville for the, for the Derby? Yeah, that's right. Just please get your jollies. Um, you know, uh, it's low-hanging fruit at this point after they utterly collapsed against the Florida Panthers. And uh, uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs are pretty much dead to me. When does baseball start? As a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, uh, at least I have something uh, convenient to shift toward. Yeah, well, And I won't be watching really any hockey for the rest of this uh, postseason. <laughs> I'm watching hockey because I, mean, I need someone to watch. Well, you have to. That's your oxygen. Um, <laughs> me, I got other things that will, you know, sustain me. So, and I, I mean, I just can't look at a hockey puck right now. Well, this is a question I posted on Twitter and uh, Facebook uh, on um, Sunday night. And just I, I asked what the, the question was, what playoff series versus lost to the Bruins? What happened against the Panthers or the what happened against the Flyers in 2010 when they had the Bruins had the 3 nothing series lead and a 3 nothing lead in Game 7 and lost it all? You're just in full pile-on mode at this point, aren't you? <laughs> um, the, the Flyers won for me in the grand scheme of things will be worse uh, because, as you well know, um, I was forced to wear a Flyers jersey after we uh, had a bet uh, in the office. Um, so that one's much more – I'm much more scarred by that one than I'm going to be by this one. The other one's fresh and raw, so, yeah, that one really leaves a, a taste in the back of my throat. But um, when all said and done, the Flyers won. That's worse. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's um, talk Derby now. And uh, some breaking news before we got to, uh, on air here for the podcast. All of the trainer Safi Joseph's horses entered this weekend down in uh, Churchill Downs, including Derby horse Lord Miles, have been ordered scratched by the Kentucky, Dor- uh, Kentucky Horse Racing Commission. Um, Mandolin Hero draws in, and uh, Joseph trains two of the four horses that were euthanized since the uh, Churchill Downs meet uh, started last week. So how, how significant is this? Well, it's very significant. It's actually more grim and harsh. Um, uh, Like, I'm going to have to update you because now we're up to five horses uh, by the full count. Um, And the other update is not only is Safi Joseph forced to scratch his horses that are entered in, uh, I think it's Thursday, Friday, no, today's Thursday, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, including Lord Miles, who was a long shot in the Derby. But he's actually been barred from all tracks owned by Churchill Downs Incorporated, which besides Churchill Downs itself, there's there's a couple others out there. Um, He's not allowed to have stalls on any of these tracks um, until they complete an investigation. I don't know exactly what they're going to do. I know um, whenever a horse dies at a racetrack, a necropsy is performed to see whatever information they can glean that could be useful moving forward to prevent these horrible things from happening. Again, um, but in the meantime, Safi Joseph is not allowed to, to run 
not only are his horses scratch that were you know already entered but he's basically effectively barred from the grounds until for further notice um uh, based on as churchill downs phrased it highly unusual sudden deaths um and until details are analyzed and understood uh, he, he's off the grounds um he's I mean, he's very shaken up about this, too, from the reports of people who have talked to him this morning. Um, the horses that ran here and were euthanized have been stabled at Keeneland, and he's he's going to investigate what's going on at Keeneland, uh, which is in Lexington, Kentucky, an hour away from here, um, to see if there's anything in the feed. Because the two that were – actually, the two that died uh, for, from him – um, weren't even euthanized. They both collapsed and died um, following racing, or tra- I think one of them might have been after training. Um, so they collapsed and died usually when horses, that happens to race horses because of some sort of heart condition kind of thing um, or internal bleeding that nobody knows about. Um, so they'll look into all that. And when I mentioned five instead of four, um, one of the horses that died had flipped in the paddock and uh, broke its neck. Um, another and the other two were breakdowns, including Wild on Ice, who was entered in the Derby and was a real long shot horse from New Mexico, um, who broke his leg uh, during training last week and had to be euthanized. So the, the tally the tally is a very grim five right now, and it's really cast a pall over the whole premises um you know i know tomorrow's kentucky oaks day and they're going to get 120,000 people and there's and you know 75 percent of them are going to be dressed in pink because that's what they do on oaks day and it's a very festive thing and huge song of people and then it ramps up even more on derby day when they're probably going to have 150 people especially since the weather's supposed to be really nice but in the meantime with all this other stuff going on and it's like we're at this point we're like no moss no moss because it seems too fluid to really comprehend and um you know i i don't hear anybody criticizing the track surface itself and um you know when these breakdowns are pretty you know they're always multifactorial and you can't really point a thing you know except in rare cases you can't really point a finger at any one thing i mean one of the horses that broke down happened on the turf course um so there's a variety of different circumstances surrounding each one except for the Safi joseph too which both collapsed and died and didn't suffer any actual musculoskeletal injury that we know of um so that's why there's been an, it, it's just a bad shadow hanging over this whole thing with the five total but in his case it, there seems like there's probably something else going on there that needs to be figured out and in the meantime he, he's barred and um you know i know there was pressure on churchill downs from at least one animal rights activist group that um, i regularly get emails from that actually called for him to have his derby horse scratched uh, as early as this morning um and subsequently churchill downs took it like several steps further and he's not even allowed to to stable his horses on the ground well let's uh just <laughs> talk about more about the racing here i mean there's a there's not a lot of crossover between the uh derby and oaks and the uh, 2022 spa meet but one of them is derby morning line favorite forte who won the hopeful talk about forte 
Forte um, is the legit favorite in this race. He was the two-year-old male champion last year, Eclipse Award-winning uh, Colt, based on uh, his stellar record that included four-for-five record. His only loss was a fourth-place finish at the, in the Sanford at Saratoga. He came right back and won the hopeful in the mud uh, on, on closing day, Labor Day last year, and then went on to win the Breeders' Cup and, you know, slam-dunk the Eclipse Award for his division. Um, and he's done nothing wrong this year. He won the Fountain of Youth in the Florida Derby, which is a pretty typical progression for Todd Pletcher's um, best derby shot. Um so he's sort of, he started this winning streak in the hopeful at Saratoga, and he's just carried it along. He's a deserving favorite. Um, I personally think he might be a little vulnerable, but as he showed in the Florida Derby, he's he's tough as nails. So whatever gets thrown at him, um, he's, you know, he, he's at least going to give a, a good response to it. Um, in the Derby field itself, the other three that ran at Saratoga last year are Rocket Can, um, who ran two maiden races at Saratoga last year and lost them by a combined 25 and a half lengths. So it seems like a pretty inauspicious um, little Saratoga deal for him. But in actuality, I talked to his jockey, Junior Alvarado, this morning, and he said he got a lot out of those races. He got dirt kicked in his face. He had to run in tight quarters and traffic. And these are things that he's going to face on Saturday in the Derby in a 20-horse field. So he... He got good learning experience out of his Saratoga races, even if he didn't get any victories to show for it. And since then, um, he, he's proven to be a, a legit derby horse. Um, and the other two are verifying who, uh, who won his, uh, one broke his maiden on Travers Day last year by one and three quarters lengths. Um, he, he was the center of a little bit of attention this morning when he tossed his exercise rider during a routine, you know, slow gallop and so everyone was like ooing and eyeing about that this morning but trainer brad cox reports that the horse is fine and so is the exercise rider so just had a little minor hiccup for him this morning and then the other one is disarm um trained by steve asmussen um he finished first in in, in a maiden race at uh, in his second career start at saratoga son of gunrunner who did a lot of amazing things at saratoga back in his um, Horse of the Year campaign a few years ago. Um, so those are the four that are in the Derby field. And then in the Oaks, we've got Gambling Girl, who's an interesting filly because um, not only did she win by 10 lengths to break her maiden at Saratoga last year, but she was uh, she actually purchased that auction in Saratoga Springs at the New York Bread Sale, Phasic Tipton, um, New York Bread Preferred Yearling Sale last uh, two years ago. Um, and then the other one is Wonder Wheel, who's interesting in her own right. Um, she finished second in the spin away. And like Forte, she went four for five last year and um, finished her campaign with an Eclipse Award as the uh, two-year-old Philly champion. And this year she's kind of clunked along and, she, you know, she's lost both of her starts. So she's, subsequently she's 12 to one in the Oaks. Um, but I'm going to keep an eye on her a little bit just because of what she did last year and, and the high expectations they had for her. We'll see if she can rebound in the Oaks on Friday. Well, speaking of the Oaks and of course the Derby, what are the, some of the undercard races you're looking at for those days? Yeah. Um, Friday, there's some pretty good stuff. And, um, the fifth race it, it, right off the rip, we've got the Ali Sheba, which, uh, the field is not real big, but it's, it's, loaded with star quality including art collector last samurai 
Westville Power, and uh, who, who just beat Art Collector in the uh, New Orleans Classic at uh, Fairgrounds, and our buddy Rich Strike, who won the Kentucky Derby last year at odds of 80 to 1, astronomical odds. Um, he has not won since then, including the Travers at Saratoga. Um, so we'll see what he's got. Um, but that's a pretty cool, interesting field uh, early in the card on Friday. Um, the other one that I'm really focusing on on Oaks Day is um, the La Troyenne, which is drawn search results, Secret Oath, and Society. Um, Secret Oath, uh, Saratoga fans will remember from having finished second to nest in both the Coaching Club American Oaks and the Alabama last year. But she won the Kentucky Oaks prior to that in the spring uh, on Derby weekend last year. So this is, you know, this is kind of her track. So let's see what she can do. And she ran very well against Clarier in the Apple Blossom in her last start. So, and then on Saturday, um, looking forward to Goodnight Olive in the Derby City Disc, the staff, trained by Chad Brown. She won the Philly and Merrick Sprint championship last year off of a very strong performance in an allowance race at Saratoga that, that kind of springboarded her into a victory in the Breeders' Cup. Um, and then the other one that is kind of cool is, um, and everybody's going to love this name, Carl Spackler, uh, who broke his maiden. Um, and not a Cinderella story when he did it because he won by eight and three quarters lengths as a two to five favorite at Gulf, Gulfstream Park last time out. And he'll go against Major Dude, who's interesting because he had been um, among the entrants in the Kentucky Derby, but they chose to run him in the turf instead in this in the American turf on Saturday. Um, and then Cody's Wish, who uh, uh, this, he's running in the Churchill Down Stakes, and this will be his first start since winning the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile at Keeneland last uh, November. So I'm looking forward to see what he does first time off the bench. Uh, who's your derby pick? My derby pick is... Not Forte, but a stablemate of his named Tappa Trice, who won a very gutsy uh, um, bluegrass stakes at Keeneland. And uh, the thing I like about him is he's kind of a very big, long striding horse, which, you know, can kind of get you in trouble in a race like the Derby where there, you know, there's a lot of traffic and, you know, he, he has to avoid getting his momentum stopped at any point because it takes him a long time to kind of get it going like a train that comes to a stop. But if they can keep him in the clear, um, he's got the talent and ability to get this thing done. Um, and so I'm going to be taking a hard look at him. Um, my Rounding out, out my superfecto will be Skinner, who with the defection of those two horses – um, actually looks better now because he's kind of a stalker closer type and with uh, the scratch of the Safi Joseph horse Mandarin Hero and well I take that back with Cyclone Mischief getting in after the other scratch um, Cyclone Mischief is a, like a true front running speed horse which it looked like there was not very much of in this race and then he draws in which actually helps a horse like Skinner who needs some fast pace up front to kind of set it up so I actually like him better now than I did before I heard about these scratches and rounding out my superfecta I got, I got Forte um, he's just a tough customer and you know whatever breakdown on the it happened now that's a bad word <laughs> however the pace um kind of collapses that's a bad word too however whatever happens to the pace in the front then 
tired horses to the finish line. He He's going to be in good position to pick up the pieces. I just think it's sort of tap at Trice's day. Um, rounding out the top four is, I, I like Rocket Can. Um, he hasn't won in a while, but he's getting beat by a lot of good horses and not by much. Um, and I believe he's improving. And, you know, it's the old habitual whoever you talk to kind of that your opinion of them gets bolstered because everybody talks up their horse so maybe i made a mistake by talking to junior alvarado tomorrow but i only have him coming in fourth so it's not like i put him all the way on top um so just to recap my top four are tapit trice skinner forte and rocket can well mac is your third trip to the cover the derby the first one in 10 years how much fun is this it was a lot of fun until, <laughs> until all this stupid stuff happened. Um, but it is amazing to be back here. I haven't been here in 10 years. It's, it's only my, let's see, I've been to two derbies and I've been to the Breeders' Cup here twice. Um, they've made a lot of improvements and, you know, the lay of the land is a little different. It's, and there's nothing like um, doing the walkover, which I plan to do on uh, Saturday. They let the media go stand in the... Uh, in the shoot, I think it's a the seven furlong shoot on the backstretch where the sort of a staging area for the field for the derby, and then they walk along the rail um, to the tunnel into the paddock, which is on the front stretch, and we get to kind of like walk along with them. And if you've never been on the track and seen just this wall of hundred thousand people up in the stands going nuts and making just this incredible roar. Uh, you don't you don't know what it's like, and uh, so I'm I'm really looking forward to that part of it. It's going to be really fun and something I haven't experienced in a while, and, and uh, um, so that part of it um, is going to be hard to uh, compromise. <laughs> well, you can follow Mike's coverage on Twitter at Mike underscore McAdam. Of course, his stories will be online at DailyGazette.com and in the print edition. Mike, appreciate a few minutes and uh, have some fun. Thanks a million for having me, Ken, and uh, good luck with everybody with your wagers. That's Mike. We got him. Joe Yordan will join me next to talk some Stanley Cup playoffs. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. If you really want to know what's going on in your community, you have to read the Daily Gazette. We don't take a side. We're right down the middle and we're going to get to the truth. Our reporters and photographers are out in the field bringing you updates every minute with trust, accuracy, and integrity from the first page to the last page, independent, probing journalism. We're finding out what's going on in the community where nobody else is covering. It's who we are. It's what we do. Want to get all the latest news from the Daily Gazette on your phone or tablet? We have an app for that. The Daily Gazette app allows you to read all the newspaper stories and columns from our dedicated team of journalists. The app is free. You can download the app from the Apple or Google app stores. Hi, this is Daily Gazette reporter Ted Remsnyder. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast, and we're going to talk some NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. And what a wild and crazy first round we saw punctuated by the stunning upset of the record-setting Boston Bruins by the Florida Panthers. Joining me now is our friend Joe Yordan, host of the Maintenance Day podcast and contributor to Bleacher Report and NotedHockey.com website. Joe, welcome back to the podcast. And I'm still trying to wrap my head at what I saw Sunday night with the Bruins and Panthers and just, I, I can't believe it. 
it's uh, it's one of those just staggering things that uh, a team that does that well all season long and looks untouchable, unbeatable all season long, and it just doesn't happen. It just isn't there anymore in the playoffs. And seeing that happen with the Bruins, I, I mean, I guess this is like a I guess this is like a thing with hockey because this seems to happen every few years, you know, yeah. <laughs> where there's, you know, there's some team on top and you're just like, wow, these guys are going to be really tough to beat. And then they're out in the first round or second round. And you're like, wow, how in the world that happened? Well, in the Bruins case, I mean, it, it, it sure sounded like uh, things got a little sideways with, with goalie health and whatnot. And guys were banged up, you know, Bergeron missed a bunch of the games in the series. Krejci missed a few games you know these aren't excuses you know these are these are kind of reasons why that happens but i mean geez i mean you you win that many games you, you put up that many points i mean the, the expectation is that you're at least going to the stanley cup final and the 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 absolute belief is that you're going to win it getting bounced in the first round and looking not great while doing it i mean geez it's, it's one thing if it's one thing if like both teams are playing like absolutely top notch stellar hockey and you just get beat. It's another thing for them to be up three one and then fall apart completely and lose three in a row. You know, like that's that's the more stunning part of it, really. And I think the fact that Brad Marchand there in the final seconds of Game Five had a chance to win it got stopped by Sergei Bobrovsky, and I mean, does that that to me that may have turned the series around because you know the Panthers. Yeah, basically took control. They win the game in overtime. Game five, go down, uh, back down to um, Florida. Win down there in a wild one, seven five, and then yeah, come back down three to two, score with an extra attacker, and then they just dominate the overtime in game seven. The Bruins just had nothing. Yeah, no, it's 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 funny. Getting a big stop is usually good for for helping you in a game purpose i mean she's for a whole series though that's i mean i guess that was the moment for bobrovsky where it's like okay you guys you can you can put some faith in me here like this is okay now a little weird to say that considering the next game went seven five seven six whatever it was but um you know it, it's just like it's like that thing where the guys you know you just need the guy to win you know, just give your team a chance to win. That's what I, I talk to a ton of goalies, and that's you know the personal numbers and all that. Like that's that's a point of pride, but they just want their, they just want to give their team a chance to win. That's what Bob was doing because you know he was just kind of holding it down as best as he could. And you know, I mean, it's not like the Bruins weren't pumping a lot of shots on goal. They, it's not like they weren't trying. Um, but I mean, he's you know Bob just I don't know he's become the goalie of shockers because he did it with he did it to Tampa a few years ago with Columbus. Yeah, and but but what kills me between Bobrovsky and uh, Alex Lyon, two ex-Flyer goaltenders doing the job. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I was trying to avoid that for you, Kenny, because the, the Flyers well, are nothing but a source of pain and sadness for you lately. But now, somebody I mean, asked, somebody asked me uh, post on my Facebook page because I, I want to ask you this question in a minute. But I uh, mean, to me. I quoted Pink Floyd. I said, I'm comfortably numb with the Flyers at this point. I, I know what I'm getting. I'm used to it. Uh, just, it's not the Flyers in my youth. I, I know that. And just some some bad decisions along the way. Well, at least they got rid of Chuck Fletcher. So, I mean, it's, it, I mean it looks like Danny Breer is going to get the GM job. And, I mean, to me, Tortorella is probably the last of a dying breed as far as, you know, tough, Minded coaches. We just saw uh, Dwayne Sutter get fired by Calgary because 
yeah, he, I guess he was too tough on him. And in you know, this day and age, it, it's you know, torch is more of a dinosaur than anything else. But, um, but I just, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, moving on from the fires before I start getting upset. Yeah, Jim Montgomery had a you know, great year. Uh, you know, we, you know, we know his story. He coached at RPI with an assistant under Seth Afford, went to the USHL, then went to Denver, won, a, won some titles there, uh, goes to Minnesota, Dallas to become the Stars head coach, uh, gets fired, and we, you know, then he admitted he had some substance abuse problems, uh, went to rehab, joined St. Louis as an assistant coach, and yeah, became the coach of the Bruins, and 65 wins, and, and just a record-setting number of points. It's what I mean? Do you blame him, or what? 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 What for the collapse, or what? What? what who do you blame? Yeah, it's tough to blame Montgomery. I mean, he's, he's you put up a season like that. That's really hard. It's really hard to say like, well, he he did that. Um, that what did stick out to me though was you know when it came down to questions about uh, starting Swayman in Game Seven, and uh, you know you know what led to that choice. And he he says he says you're gonna have to ask goalie Bob, yeah, you know, goalie coach Bob Essens. He's like, you have to ask him about that. Which, I mean, you're the head coach. You gotta you have to own some of that responsibility. I mean, ultimately, it's your call. I mean, you can lean on the goalie coaches to give you the best info because I mean, obviously, goalie coaches know better about goalies than than head coaches usually. So, um, but I mean, to just defer off and say like, well, you have to ask him and you know we don't get to talk to the goalie coaches at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. We get to talk to, you know, we get to talk to, you know, guys like Jim Montgomery or the head coach and find out what's going on there. So it's just to kind of pass the buck like that's, I don't know. That's, that's not a great, it's not a great way to, to, to end the season for what was supposed to be. I mean, geez, they're supposed to win the cup, but you know, to go out kind of sour like that. I mean, I get it, but also, you know, man, you're the head coach for a reason. You gotta, you gotta kind of own up or at least, you know, take the front take front page for that you know just 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 you know you can't just you know you know shuttle that off to your assistants to say like well you have to talk to those guys i don't know about it like that's wrong yeah i mean now now the bruins meet is this a, is this the final ride with uh yeah bergeron marshan krejci i mean what's going to happen there yeah it's i mean I, Everything at the end of that, at the end of Game Seven, sure made it seem like that could be it for Bergeron. Although, you know, anytime the Bruins have been bounced in the playoffs, he's done that. Like he's, you know, he's, you know, seen all the guys off the ice and you know, give them a hug and all that. So, uh, but it's, I mean, he is getting to the end of the road. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and if he leaves or if he retires, I can't say he's going to leave. He, he, I mean, he's technically a free agent, but like he's not signing anywhere else. Like yeah. he's. He's playing in Boston or he's retiring. Um, but, I mean, if he hangs it up and, you know, if Krejci hangs it up too, I mean, Krejci's, I don't think Krejci's as old as Bergeron, but, I mean, he's, you know, mid-30s. Like, that's, you know, that's a that's a really big blow. And they don't have the guy, they don't have the prospects to, to, to be able to fill those to fill, fill those spots. And they don't have, you know, free agent classes and that great. So you're not going to be able to do it from the outside. So I... Bruins could be looking at a really fascinating summer, and I, I have to imagine that you know if Patrice is is on the fence, they're going to try to do everything they can to to, to get him to come back for one more run and say like, listen, you don't want to go out like that, do you? And I'm pretty sure I, uh, I mean, if it's me in that spot, it's either no, I don't want to go out like that. Let's run it back one more time, or like 
I don't need this crap anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's, you know, we gave it a shot. We had our shot in 2019. You know, I've been putting my body on the line for this forever. It's, you know, maybe it's time to, time to go home to the family. Uh, so let me ask you, uh, since you're near Toronto, have they cleaned up from the uh, confetti from the first round parade at the uh, Maple Leafs beat the Lightning? Uh, I, I think they, I think they've gotten it cleaned up mostly. Although, uh, although it, uh, the the uh, the square in front of uh, the Scotiabank Arena, you know, that's that's a perpetual party zone down there. So who knows who knows what that's like? Everybody piling out of real sports and and heading outside. But uh, I I mean you know listen, first time winning a first round series since 2004. I mean we're talking almost 20 years. I get it. Enjoy it. You know it's it's been a while. They've had a load of playoff teams, especially recently, where. You know, it's you're supposed to like they've done well enough. You're supposed to do it. I mean, playing Tampa in the first round a couple of years in a row probably doesn't doesn't really lean into having success. And playing the Bruins too, like I mean, listen, you're not getting any breaks there in that division yeah. uh, with the setup. But um, you know, good. It's good. It's good for them. Like get that get that monkey off your back and just kind of move on with it. And and you know, forget about the you know the Randy Carlisle years. And, uh, you know all those all those down seasons in the two th- you know two thousands and twenty tens and and just you know enjoy this group of players because they're really good they're really really good but I think the the, the toughest part of that for for the rest of us that aren't Toronto people or that we got to work on new material to to make fun of the Leafs because you know, the the two thousand four jokes were getting pretty <laughs> they were getting old but they never they never got tired because uh, well there's a nineteen especially... there's a nineteen sixty seven joke since that's the last time they've been. <laughs> They won a cup, and that's the last time they went to a cup final. Yeah, see, I mean, the the real tried and true classics never die. You know, the 2004 one is is funny. Well, that was more funny in Buffalo because, you know, the Sabres, well, we know how rough things have been for the Sabres for years now, but they had won a first-round series more recently than the Leafs in 2007. Of course, you know, now they're the team with the longest drought since winning a first-round series. But, you know what, I think on their side, they've only been to the playoffs three times since then. So maybe it's maybe it's not – as bad as it seems, but no, actually, it's really bad. And but the fact that the Maple Leafs winning that series, winning three games in Tampa, all in overtime, that that just shows you how mentally tough they they, they were down there. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I, I, that's been a, I mean, that's a that's a trend all throughout the playoffs this year. Is that road teams just you know for whatever reason are feasting on the road it's i don't know if it's you know the inner troll aspect where they just love sending people home sad or what but they're just uh the, you know winning all three winning all three games in tampa on you know on the road in overtime i mean that's that, that reeks of 1993 montreal canadian stuff where every time they went to overtime they won it and they went to overtime a lot in those playoffs mm-hmm. on their way to a stanley cup but uh, you know, Toronto, listen, it's <laughs> Toronto. I mean, it's great for them. They, they played really well. They, they could have been down three to one going into game five, but they weren't because, you know, Tampa gave it away in games three and four, yeah. but, um, but, you know, they're, they're going to have their hands full in this next round though. Cause <laughs> we're already seeing it. Florida's Florida gave them a lot to handle in game one. And the, the, the Panthers are not going to let off the gas because you know what? 
they won the president's trophy last year and didn't make it as far as they were hoping to make it. So they got they got some stuff to prove themselves. Let me step back to the Bruins a second because I almost forgot to ask the question. I posted this on Facebook and Twitter after uh, the Panthers beat the Bruins in Game 7. And I asked, my question was, which uh, playoff series wor- loss was worse, this one or in 2010 when the Bruins had a 3-0 series lead on the Flyers and a 3 nothing lead in Game 7 against the Flyers and, and lost it all? You know, I think <laughs> I think 2010, they, they can put 2010 aside because they won the Stanley Cup the next year. You know, you can forget about 2010 as long as you win it the next year. I, you know, I loathe to bring this up, but I think of the Red Sox, you know, in 03, they lose in Game 7, Aaron Boone hits the home run. That could have been a way to pack it up. Instead, they come back the next season do, and pull the same action on the Yankees the next year. And it was, you know, as brutal as that was for me, like that stinks. But, um, but I mean, it's, it, it doesn't matter anymore. Like that, you know, th- those, those losses can't hurt you anymore once you overcome them and, and win a title. And it doesn't, you know, yeah, sure, it stinks to look back on my boy, you should have had them that year too. But, you know, hey, we won a cup the next year. Um, and besides, they got to reverse the course on the Flyers the very next season. Who did the, the Flyers did the same thing? Got up to a three nothing lead and lost. So, you know, I, I think it, they can get by with that. Now, if Boston comes back and wins the Stanley Cup next season, then you know, I guess all is forgiven. But right now, that's way worse. This the, this year is this this time around. It's way worse because. They were the best team in the league. They they did have a three one lead in the series. They did you know, they had everything everything was set up for them to just cruise into the next round and they didn't do it. Yep. Um, the other series in the East, uh, the New Jersey Devils were down two nothing after two home losses against the Rangers and then the goaltending changed and all of a sudden now Jersey's into the second round against Carolina. I mean what, what that goaltending switch, how how big big was that? It was huge. Uh, it was absolutely huge. I, I mean, it it may have looked like a hail mary from the outside because I mean, you know, Kira Schmidt is a rookie. You know, he played a handful of games, like you know, eighteen games. I think he had fourteen starts. You know, you're you're talking about a guy who's you know pretty pretty inexperienced. I mean, he's twenty two years old, and you know, he was pretty good last year in in the AHL. He's pretty good there again this year too but um but i mean it's you know you're down two nothing you're going on the road it's you know you're kind of stuck you know because because you're because you're looking at it in the more normal sense that was getting this is only going to get a lot harder if we don't get a if we don't get a game here sure enough they they get a game they get two games and they even it up and then just kind of roll from there the rangers they didn't have a lot of punch back there after you know after it gets to two two in the series they played an awful game five. You know, I remember seeing Shesterkin skating off the ice, you know, yelling at his team. Get, you know, he gets, you know, he's going to the bench or whatever. And, you know, they, you know, they played a really good game six. And then game seven was the same as game five. So, you know, that's, you know, that, that's what a lot of frustration can do to a team. And the Devils, you know, the Devils pulled the old trick of, well, we got a rookie in net. We can't let him look bad because if he looks bad, that's that's our fault, you know. And they tighten up their defense like pretty incredibly because it it, it made the Rangers not want to try as hard, honestly, because you know they don't want to dump the puck in; they want to carry it, and skate freely, and and do all the fun stuff. But the Devils made it really hard for them to do that, you know, picking them off in the neutral zone, trying to you know force them to turn it over. And, just make it really miserable for them, and they did that. And you know, you do that to—I guess the Rangers are kind of an older team, sort of. And 
not really, but um, but you do that to a team that wants to skate freely and they don't want to adjust, and that's exactly what turns out. Yeah, the Rangers have a lot of interesting decisions to make in the offseason. Uh, I mean, especially, you know, Patrick Kane. We, I don't think Patrick Kane was much of a factor for the Rangers. No, certainly. I mean, he wasn't at five on five. He was he was pretty good on the power play. Uh, he had a really solid first two games. I mean, so did you know, so did Tarasenko. I think Tarasenko was really good for them uh, in the series. Tommy Panarin was invisible. Uh, that's if I'm going to take take note of somebody who is a big name that should have uh, that should have been on the score sheet a lot more often. Panarin's the one I'm pointing out. Because I just, uh, there was, <laughs> every time he's on the ice, I'm like, oh, let's see what he does now. He wasn't doing any of that against the Devils. It just wasn't there. Uh, you know, if he was playing with an injury or whatever, I, I, you know, I haven't seen anything about that. But, um, but for Kane, I mean, you know, listen, he's, he, he wants to get back to, he wants to win another cup. You know, he wants to keep moving up the leader, you know, the leaderboard for points scored. Uh, certainly, you know, amongst American players, he wants to, he wants to climb that board even more so i mean he's going to be back next year i just you know i wonder if it's going to be with the rangers i don't know if it's going to be anywhere else it's not going to be in buffalo i know he's from here i know he's you know and he'd been a he was a proud sabers fan growing up you know living in south buffalo the whole thing he sabers are not are not going to be bringing him in here but um but i gotta think you know i wonder what happens with him because all the talk was that he had a bad hip. Uh, that's why he was struggling to Chicago. And, you know, there was wonder if he was even going to get traded because of how bad it was and whatnot. You know, we'll see what happens in the offseason. If he gets surgery, he comes back and he's putting up 90 points again. And, you know, maybe if he stays in the Rangers, that's going to be a boon for him. Yeah. Well, speaking of the New York team, uh, the Islanders, uh, yeah, they're eliminated by Carolina in six games. And that's a team that's also had some questions. Uh, I mean, it seems like they're, they're playing a, sort of a dinosaur style and a modern game where goals are plenty. Yeah, and you know what? It's, it's our old pal Lou Lamorello in charge, you know, running the shop there. So them playing that kind of hockey's not a surprise. Although, you know, given the league trend, I mean, I mean, listen, the Devils, the Devils in the mid '90s didn't care about how high scoring everybody was. They were going to do their thing. Uh, the problem now is that referees are actually calling penalties. I know they're probably not calling them as much as a lot of a lot of fans would like to see, but they're calling them way more. And power plays are way more dangerous now. Um, the, the, the scoring talent and, and the strategies and all that has changed drastically since the mid '90s. So you know, they, it's not like we're going to see a rollback. You know, teams are going to be like, hmm, the Islanders. I think they got this thing figured out. That ain't happening. Yeah. <laughs> not happening. There's too much scoring in the league, and it's it's something where I think the Islanders are going to need to adjust for themselves because they struggled to score all season, and they you know they they were able to kind of drag Carolina down with them a little bit in that series but they just you know even with Carolina having like two or three big guys out of the lineup they still didn't have the firepower to keep up with them and that's that's a, to me that's a big problem for for the Isles you know I, I know Barzal was hurt most of the season Brock Nelson had a pretty good year um, you know Bo Horvat uh, didn't really have that great of playoffs I think which is tough because they signed him for eight more years yeah. um you know, it, it, it's it's a small group of guys that do have a lot of talent, but there's not a lot there. Other, you know, outside of those main guys. I mean, everybody else is a grinder. You know, I'm you know guys like Matt Martin and Cal Clutterbuck have become you know kind of cult heroes. You know, amongst the Islander fan base, but 
they're not putting points on the board. They're, yeah, they're going to hammer everybody. They're going to hit everybody. They're going to play with guts. But like, I don't know, man. Like, they get a score. They get a score twenty goals a season. No. So that that to me is that to me is a big problem. And you don't really have a lot coming up through the minor leagues, you know, to try to fill those spots because you know they you know they're kind of close to the cap. They're they're kind of up there, but you know, at least they don't have to worry about goaltending because Ilya Soroka, you know, however defensive they play or not, he's he's a fantastic goalie. So they're they're good to go there. Well, maybe that goalie gave up the stats and he wasn't the best, but... Uh... No, no, definitely not. No, that's... I don't even know how that gets in, but that... I don't know. I don't know if he's cheating off the post or what, but that's... I don't know. That that, that, defy, that defies physics, really, because really, that's a zero-angle goal. And I, you know, I watched the replay a thousand times. I don't know how it gets in. I have no idea. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about the Western Conference uh, side of things here in just a moment. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Hey, auto racing fans. The Daily Gazette's auto racing contest is back. Here's how to play. Pick the top five finishers in the weekly NASCAR race and get a chance to win a $50 ShopRite gift card. To play, go to DailyGazette.com and click on the Auto Racing Contest banner. The Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is run by the Advertising Department and not affiliated with the Sports Department. Hi, this is Albany men's basketball coach Dwayne Killings. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Sports Editor Kane Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. Joe Yordan joining us now uh, again for uh, segment two of our Stanley Cup playoff talk in the Western Conference. And the big story is we'll have a new Stanley Cup champion. Uh, the Seattle Kraken knocked off the Colorado Avalanche in game seven in Denver. And they have a one nothing series lead uh, after their win against uh, the Dallas Stars in Tuesday night's uh, uh, first game of the conference semifinal. What about the Kraken? I mean, Dave Haxtell, this is a team last year at – yeah, their first year in the league did not do as well because everybody was thinking, well, there'll be the new Vegas Golden Knights, so they'll have a great uh, first year and do well, which they didn't do. But year two, they, they've, they've done a great, great job. And Dave Haxtell, it's proven he can, he can coach in the NHL. Uh, I, I uh, think that maybe his hands were tied in Philadelphia thanks to general manager Ron Hextall. Um, now we see that uh, Hextall not, has been – Ruined two Pennsylvania <laughs> NHL teams, <laughs> but I mean, what is, talk about the job that, that Hackstall has done, and and general manager Ron Francis. I tell you what, Hack is—it's interesting. When Hack took over in Philly, there was—he had a little bit of that, or a lot of the the kind of arrogance that that comes with with a guy who's had a lot of success elsewhere uh you know because he had a he had so much success coaching north dakota you know win a national championship all that stuff um and he came to philly thinking like he was the smartest guy in the room the smartest guy in any room that he was in which i mean hey maybe he is yeah. i don't know but you can't act that way to everybody and you know that that kind of thing gets tired i mean Doing it to us in the media is one thing, but I can't imagine it was a whole lot different in the room. I mean, you know, but, you know, that that situation in Philly was vastly different than what's going on in Seattle because Seattle's got their stuff figured out. You know, that's that's a team that is very well 
built on the you know on the upper levels with you know with the uh, they have a great statistical team they you know they've got some stuff figured out where you know a lot of teams are still kind of going a little stone age with how they put a team together at Philly at Pittsburgh um, sorry a little cough there trust me I know we, we, we I think the Flyers passed over Cal McCarr for crying out loud yeah yeah that's that's a tough one that's a tough one to look by look past but uh, you know I I look at the way the Kraken are built and it's not it's not they're not like a, how most teams are where you've got like one you know a couple of the scoring lines that really will will hem you in and, and do a job on you and then you know maybe a casual grinder line and then a team that'll come out you know a line that'll come out and get the mouth they've got four lines that can that can play intense four check that can hit and can score you know the, all four all four lines of theirs can can really light up the board and i mean you don't really get a break playing them you know sometimes if a team will throw out a third or fourth line you're like okay finally we can throw our third or fourth line out there and, and see you know see what shakes loose uh you try to do that and try to do that kind of matching up against seattle they're they're gonna they're gonna score on you <laughs> and you know you know i, I look at the season maddie Beniers has had and he's, he's probably gonna be rookie of the year spoiler alert everybody he's, he's gonna win the calder but um you know, he put up a lot of points, you know, from talking like 55, 60 points, whatever it was. And, you know, it's pretty good. You know, you got a league where lots of players are scoring, you know, 70, 80, 90 points, even you know, a handful of 100-point players. But they didn't have anybody that racked up that kind of offensive output. Instead, they had about eight or nine guys that put up between 40 and 60 points, which good luck yeah. <laughs> you know good luck good luck trying to, to, to find the right matchups and how, you know who to shut down on a given night because you know one night one night it could be Beneers another night it's Bjorkstrand another night it's you know it's, it's uh, geeky it's you know it's it's any of these guys where you know you don't know what they can do Daniel Sprung Sprung's on what his fourth or fifth team by now and now he's now he's a 20 goal guy I mean guys always had the shot he's always had the ability it was just kind of needed more of an opportunity which you really get in pittsburgh or washington so we're really in anaheim honestly like which is weird to say yeah. because anaheim everybody should have an opportunity there but um but i mean he's you know he's had a chance to figure it out he's fine you know hackstall's done great to, to to get these guys in a position to, to be able to do this all the time and they give everybody fits they frustrated colorado to no end because they played kind of the same style Colorado likes to, and they got it thrown in their face. You just couldn't, you know, they didn't give them the open ice to skate around. They were in their face from, you know, from the moment they tried to break out of the end and, and, you know, the all the way up the ice. That's, that, that's a pain in the rear end to deal with. So, you know, good on them for, 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 for going with this style and being able to stick with it and having a lot of success because boy, they, Game one against Dallas, they sure made Jake Ottinger look very ordinary, and that's very difficult to do because he's he's had an unbelievable season at goal. Yeah, and Dallas took care of Minnesota in the first round of the uh, you know, Stars. Their former home was, of course, Minnesota. Uh, yeah, obviously they're playing game two as we will as we're taping this. Game two will be Thursday night, and uh, what's going to take for Dallas to get bounced back in this series? Well, they got to find somebody other than Joe Pavelski that can yeah, score, really. score a goal. I mean, what, what a story with him. You know, he's, he misses a whole bunch of time. He comes right back in and scores four. Like, come on. Like, that's that's silly. That's absolutely silly stuff. But uh, but the good thing for Dallas, though, is they do have the guys that can score. 
something. We know about Jamie Benn. We know about Tyler Sagan. Jason Robertson's one of the best players in the league. Uh, people may may still not know about him because it's you know, plays in Dallas and you know stars aren't really you know getting a lot of national national attention. But Robertson's an incredible player. I mean, he was a, he came out of nowhere and scored forty last season. Uh, you know, wound up on I, I can I can tell you he wound up on my MVP ballot last season. So um, he just he was a brilliant player, just an outstanding outstanding scorer and you know Rupa Hintz is another really good scorer uh, Miro Haskinen is a fantastic defenseman but they got their hands full <laughs> they really got their hands full trying to deal with Seattle because because like I said Seattle didn't quit yep. but this Dallas crew I, I mean they they're re- Dallas is really good too that's the thing the playoffs you're not gonna really have a bad team show up but like yeah I mean Dallas was kind of my shadowy favorite in the West to come out and, and wind up in the final. But gee whiz, man, I might have to change my vote to the, to the Kraken on that one because they, I mean, they made Dallas look, you know, Dallas threw everything that they, they had at them. And then Seattle just took it and went right back down the ice and, and gave it back to them. So, um, you know, I, I, I like Dallas quite a bit, but I, I got to see how they respond in game two and, and what that looks like, because they sure didn't look like they were ready for Seattle in game one. Yeah. Uh, the other series, first round series, Edmonton took care of L.A. for the second straight year. And uh, and the Vegas, uh, after losing game one to Winnipeg, you know, really took care of business uh, in, in against the Jets. Uh, this Vegas Oilers, it's another, another game where a guy scores four goals, Leon Dreisaitl, and they lose. I mean, <laughs> I've never seen that before where guys score four goals in a game and your team loses. I, I think I saw it was Gord Miller on Twitter pointed out that when Pavelski did it the other night, it was the first time in 30 years that that had happened in the playoffs. I don't think it was the playoffs. I don't know if it was even counter regular season. The first time in the playoffs that a guy scored four and his team lost, and then it happens on back-to-back nights. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's goofy. It's just so goofy. But, uh, you know, the, the, thing with, the thing about the Oilers that sticks out is that if you give them power plays, they're going to score on you. It, it's you know it's McDavid, it's Drysdale, it's Evan Bouchard, it's you know it's uh, Zach Hyman, you know it's Evander Kane, it's all these guys in the mix to score goals there. You know Nugent Hopkins. I mean, so many guys. It's so many guys that can that can beat you. And when it's five on four, they're gonna. They're they're absolutely gonna do it. And you know Vegas. Yeah, you know, listen, Vegas is really good. Vegas is a really good team, and I know they've they've dealt with the injuries. They've had to put up with a lot of that stuff for a couple years in a row now. But you know, Mark Stone, conveniently enough for the salary cap situation, comes back in the playoffs, and uh, you know, Eichel looked Eichel looked pretty damn good in Game One, and Stone Stone's one of my favorite players in the league. He's he feels like he's perpetually under the radar to me, uh, just because his you know his style of game. And the fact that he's, you know, he's a, a guy that just scores, you know, he can score a ton, but he defends so well. Uh, and I think that's where that, that's where a lot of fits are gonna are gonna come for for the Oilers because they get going like that against uh, against Vegas. It's hard. It's hard because Vegas is another team that doesn't relent. The thing is. The Oilers shoot shoot enough. They're going to be able to to to, to score. They're going to be able to outscore their way. I mean, they've been doing it all season. They outscore their problems, but you know, it's it's one of their former guys, Laurent Brossois, who's who's taking charge in net. And you know, it's if there's a weakness that Vegas has, it's definitely in goal. But you know, man, I, I, it's 
I love the way Vegas has played. I, I, I think they're I think they're a super fun team, and and Edmonton is my favorite team to watch in the playoffs just because it's a nonstop goal fest. It's yeah. it's they're they're doing everything they can to recreate the uh, the Gretzky years on ice in the in the you know the twenty twenties because uh, it's it's just run and gun hockey. It's great. The roaring twenties of hockey. Yeah, I love that. So the one thing I I'm not a fan of with the playoffs is the bracketed format. Uh, Vegas and Edmonton should not be a second round series. Vegas, with the top points in the West, should be playing the Kraken in the first, this, this round, Dallas and Edmonton. Same thing over in the East. Carolina should be playing Florida because Carolina has the best record now. And then in Toronto and Jersey should be playing. I mean, why does the NHL think this is a better format than reseeding? Well, the, the NHL. Always, they're always doing everything they can to try to to try to reproduce rivalries. Like they they want to create rivalries. They want all this stuff to to just kind of play out and and you know be like the old days. They want it. They want it to be you know like the old Norris Division days where the teams hated each other. And you know they're you, know, you get like those blood feuds in the playoffs and all that. And then I I just go back to I didn't have to go back even that far. Go back to the nineties. Who was who was the biggest rivalry in hockey in the nineties and the two thousands? It was Detroit and Colorado. Yeah. They didn't play in the same division. They they only met in the playoffs every year, mm-hmm. and it was always like in the conference finals or or the you know the conference semis. They didn't need to play in the same division to hate each other. They just needed Claude Lemieux to blast somebody from behind and break their face into a thousand pieces. Yeah. You know, that's <laughs> just the little things that it takes. But like, that's what the playoffs can provide, though. I mean, that you know, that whole thing with Lemieux and and Draper happening Game Six of the Conference Final. Like, that's you know, it takes a set a setting with high stakes to be able to produce a rivalry. But they're trying to ham-fistedly reproduce these things by having the divisional thing. And I'm like, listen, you know, they're, they're not playing seven, eight division games a year. They're playing four, <laughs> you know, they're playing a team, you know, a team within their division four times. And like, that's not enough to, to build up a lot of heat. I mean, you know, sometimes you have players on your team that build up the heat, but geez, it, it doesn't really do a lot to, to help that out because it's like, well, it's just, you know, we've been around the bend with these guys already. So, we kind of know what to expect. I like when teams don't know what to expect. Yeah. You know, you go into it. I mean, you know, I get internet age. Everybody can watch tape and everything, but um, but you only know what it's like. It's it's like the old uh, Mike Tyson thing. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And the playoffs are kind of that way when you know teams don't really see each other a whole lot. You you can see what it's like on a video, but when you get up against it, you don't know what you're dealing with. And that to me is is half the fun of the playoffs. And I think when you have a one through eight setup, it's that's more what you're going to get because you don't you know if you're playing a team from your other division, maybe you've seen them only three times. You know, maybe the last time you played them was in November. <laughs> you know, schedule can be weird that way. So you know, I I just like that it breaks down easier one through eight it makes the playoff like the playoff races are the same damn thing you know the wild card you know, everybody's fighting for the wild card it's the same thing for seven through eight yeah. no it's just it's it's no different than it is for that but i don't know it's it's frustrating and i get that batman's just the, the you know the speakerphone for for the owners and the gms but i don't know i gotta think this is something they gotta revisit because the players the players want it one through eight when Sidney crosby tells you he wants it one through eight go back to it just yeah. do it yeah, that and uh, home white jerseys and uh, no other, yes. uh, no, 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 no video boards that they're using these days on the, 
on the TV with the ads. That's a, that's distracting. Oh, yeah, that and get rid of the offside reviews. For God's sake, please. I just I've had enough. I've had enough of guys being offside by a millimeter to to, to last me a lifetime. Like that has no bearing on the play. And for you know the people that be like, well, you're technically offside. I'm like, well, you're technically a jerk for thinking that makes any difference in a play. I mean. I don't know. This is it, it's a good time to blame the Canadians because it happened. They, an offside goal gets scored against them in the playoffs, and you know everybody had to burn for it. So thanks, thanks Montreal. <laughs> I wish they had uh, video review back in 1980, and Leon Stick would have seen that missed offside he uh, they had in the Game Six against the Islanders and the Flyers. I mean, let me specify: we're not talking about Nyström's goal. That was a clean goal. This was a goal in yeah. the first period. And there's, there's there's some people out there who think that Nyström goal was offside, and I, I I've, I've told them no. And I actually you know, told Bob Nyström this uh, last year when he was inducted in New York State Hockey Hall of Fame that uh, yeah, your goal. I, I, I told him your goal was. Clean. You know, that wasn't the issue. It was the one in the first period that they missed. But, uh, yeah, you can still have still better. It's not like the Flyers haven't gotten the benefit of the doubt. Everybody in Buffalo will tell you about the LeClaire goal scored through the side yes, of that. Yes. That they did review and they still call it a goal, <laughs> which I, that's, that's a whole other thing, man. That 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 falls in line with the whole Brett Hall thing from '99. I just, enough already. Enough with enough. We need less review, and it I it drives me nuts that Gary Bettman warned everybody about this. He's like, you want more review, but you don't know what you're inviting into the situation by by having more of it because you're, you're going to cause problems you're not aware of. And sure enough, it's where we're at. Gary knew. Gary knew for sure. Yep. So, well, Joe, I appreciate a few minutes, and uh, we'll enjoy the rest of the playoffs. And um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch how this turns out. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a real treat. And I, I tell you what, everybody's already getting ratings concerned with some of the teams that are in it. And I don't know, man. I, I think if we get a Seattle, Vegas, Carolina, uh, Carolina, Florida Final Four, that people will be crying about the ratings. But I'll be having a lot of fun. That'll be a, that'll be a treat to watch. Yeah. So, again, Joe, appreciate a few minutes, and uh, we'll talk soon. You got it, Kenny. Thanks so much. Yeah, that's Joe Yordan. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest in just a moment. Meet Andrew Waite. He's a dedicated journalist with a passion for research and a commitment to getting all sides of the story. Whether it's a local issue or an upstate trend, I do the stories and interviews that shed light on what's important to you. Stay informed. Read Andrew Waite in the Daily Gazette. It's my job to offer commentary about what's happening in our community and what it means to our readers. The Gazette, reporting based on accuracy and integrity. It's who we are. It's what we do. Want to get all the latest news from the Daily Gazette on your phone or tablet? We have an app for that. The Daily Gazette app allows you to read all the newspaper stories and columns from our dedicated team of journalists. The app is free. You can download the app from the Apple or Google app stores. Hi, this is Union College football coach John Poppy. You're listening to the Party Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 11 winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest was Robert Prusco of Scotia with 55 points. Robert wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Robert. 
The VIP winner was Nick Platel of Grand Premier Tires with 20 points. I'll announce the Auto Racing Contest winner's name, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. To play, go to dailygazette.com and click on the Auto Racing Contest banner. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on how COVID-19 is affecting us in the Capital Region. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this situation. We appreciate the job you are doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated or a booster shot, please do so. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I want to thank Mike McAdam and Joe Yurden for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette Company. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette Company. I'm Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, and as I close this podcast, I want to salute singer Gordon Lightfoot, who died Monday at the age of 84. He had some memorable songs such as If You Could Read My Mind, Carefree Highway, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, and this one, one of my favorites, Sundown. Rest in peace, Gordon. I can see her lying back in her satin dress In a room where you do what you don't confess Sundown, you better take care If I find you've been creeping round my backstairs Sundown, you better take care Sometimes I think it's a sin